0: This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. Today's scripture is Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. Hey, good evening. It's good to see you all. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and if this is your fourth time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I've been gone for the last month, and so you guys have had opportunity to hear from some different preachers, and which has been really good. And uh, I'll explain to you guys in a little bit on uh, where I've been and kind of where we're going today um, in our time this evening. So. First is, on your way in, you should have grabbed one of these. Um, If you did not, make sure you grab one of these on your way out. Here's why. Here's a question that we get all the time is, how do I know what's happening with my church? How do I know what's going on with Redemption Tempe? And we're saying, here's something you can have that you can find out clear lines of communication of which you can know what's happening. So grab this. We hand these out the first Sunday of every month. Grab one on your way out. And it helps us and saves us of not having eight-minute announcements, which I don't like, you don't like, Jesus doesn't like, and so it helps us. Uh, A whole lot if you guys would just grab one of these. So that's all I have for a time announcements. Look at that. Perfect. The Lord is thankful um, that we just did that. So um, here's what I want to be able to do. We're going to talk about walking through hard times today. Uh, We've been traveling through the Gospel of Mark, which we normally uh, walk through books of the Bible. Um, Last week we took a a break off of that, and uh, Jim taught on vocation. And this week we're going to talk about walking through hard times. Primarily, how do we process what are some helpful things from God's Word when we find ourselves in difficult moments, moments of suffering, moments in which we respond to maybe sinful situations, or other people's situations, whatever the hard time may be, how do we glean from God's Word? And so we're going to look at that this evening. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Hold your spot there. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. One of the ushers will give you a copy of God's Word. Um, just go ahead and hold it up high. Your hand, and if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep the copy that we are handing out. It is our gift to you. Ecclesiastes chapter three. Now, if you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, turn all the way to the left of your Bible to the thing called the table of contents, and then you'll be able to look there, and then you can find Ecclesiastes. Um, and and I, seriously, I remember when I first started going to church, and the pastor or somebody would say, "Hey, turn your Bible to this," and I'm like, "Come on, that that name doesn't exist in the Bible." Oh, it does. So just go to the table of contents, you'll be able to find that. We'll start there, and we'll be looking at some other scriptures as well um, in, our, in our time. So here are four things that, um, that I want us to look through, just helpful things. These are not exhaustive things that can help us through hard times. First is, uh we'll talk about it. it's okay not to be okay. Number two is a funeral is better than a wedding. Um, number three, perspective matters. And then number four there is that Jesus loves me. I want to end with something that most people have heard before. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible um, tells me so. We're going to sing afterwards and uh, we'll figure it out. So that's what we're going to do uh, as we walk through that. So if you would, why don't you guys go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me. And let ask God to bless our time. God, I, I thank you, Lord, uh, just for this day and to be here with uh, our church, Lord, to be with people, to be encouraged through your word, to be encouraged by your spirit. Um, God, I ask that you would uh, remove me. God, that we may be able to see you, to trust you, to know you, to follow you. That you would take everything, Lord, from this moment, the teaching of your word, um, to, to lead us, Lord, to the table in which we will partake in communion, to remember the broken body of Jesus, his shed blood, um, the power that we have only, Lord, you through us, through the gospel. Um, God, I ask that you would uh, allow us to see you for who you are, God, that we'd be able to worship you fully and wholly, in Christ's name, amen. So here's how we got here, if you're going, okay, why are we off with the series of Mark, is... Um, Partly, it's circumstances of which we've been kind of walking through many of you in and our congregation um, just through hard times. And and a big part of it, honestly, is personally just some things that um, just over the past month that have absolutely rocked me. Um, In fact, I got halfway through the week, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to teach a message on this. Um, One, because I have no desire for this to be like some self-centered message um, about my hard time and, and how bad life is for me, but more importantly, how we can see God. So I went to Jim Mullins and I said, "Man, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm just gonna go back to the Mark's passage and we'll figure it out." And he goes, "No, you've never been away for a month. We want to hear kind of what God's teaching you." Um, and so Jim's like, "It'd be really good for us to hear it." And then he he's uh, he's not even here today, um, so. Uh, <laughs> But anyways, and so um, it has been a very, very difficult sermon all day long, and so I'm just going to warn you guys that. um, No apologies, but it's been very, very uh, difficult for me personally to kind of deliver this. And um, I'll tell you why I'm here now. Um, One... Um, so I had been gone for a month. The last time I taught was, Ju- was June 28th. I just got back from a family reunion. We were in Orlando uh, with my, my whole family. On my side of the family, it was great. Stayed in one house and had a blast together. Came back, taught here, and then I knew the week after that that I was going to be gone because I was teaching that uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes has a camp with 500 uh, kids or whatever it is in Flagstaff. And so I went there to teach for three nights. And after the first night, I taught, woke up the next morning, uh, decided to go for a a job or or something like that, my attempt of that, and um, went for a run. And I got a phone call while I was running from my mom. So I ignored it. She called me again. So I ignored it. She called me again. I'm like, what does this woman want? And so then I decided to pick up the phone. And what I heard next was easily uh, probably the worst sounds and worst news I'd heard maybe ever, right? And so I pick up the phone, and uh, what happened was one of my cousins, my closest cousin who I grew up with, who I spent every summer with, um, he grew up in Mississippi. I was in California. He'd come to California every summer uh, as we were growing up. He's four years uh, younger than I am. Um, I just spent this family reunion in the same house with his wife and his four-year-old daughter, and what happened was that he had gone to sleep and then didn't wake up the next day, Um, and he passed away. And my two younger cousins were there at his house with him, just kind of keeping him company because his wife and his daughter had left to go visit her family in a different part of the state. And they were playing video games with him. They said he fell asleep. And they just thought, whatever, he's tired. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. We'll leave. Well, my family's real tight, real tight-knit family, and they do everything together. And so they woke up on Sunday morning. It was time to go to church, and they couldn't. He wasn't answering his phone, so they said, what we'll do is we'll just go surprise him. So my whole family, my grandma, my mom, aunt, like that's just how we do it. And then they all they all showed up to his house and found him there um, dead. And when my mom called me, she called me in the midst of that. So not only was she giving me the news, you can imagine just hearing the, the yelling and the screaming and the prayers is all at once. And, and, and honestly, guys, I mean, um, I got kicked in the gut. I really did. And um, so I walked back to the dorms that we're staying in at this camp, and I'm trying to figure out, do I tell my kids this because um, all I could think about was my my boys all they talked about was my cousin 's kids and other cousin 's kids and, and so forth so I'm like i 'm not telling the boys, so I, I kind of whispered to holly like hey here 's what 's going on. She gives me that look that you know you give the, when someone like that something like that has happened. And so I said, you know what, I never do this, uh, but I'm going to compartmentalize this because there's really no way for me to process. i got two more nights I need to preach at this place, and, and I can't leave tonight anyway to go to be in Mississippi, and i got to find out what they're going to do for the funeral. So I'll try to compartmentalize it, which is not my strength. Like, um, I know stereotypically like men compartmentalize and then women don't, um, so I'm a woman. Um, and, and so I, I don't, I don't, I don't normally compartmentalize anything, and I, I didn't know I can do it. And so I tried doing that, and just kind of shedding off emotionally for that. Um, and I think I don't know because I'm, I'm just not. I'm just like a 32 year old pastor. I don't have any training in any of this stuff. But something happened there, um, and uh, and um, it. It it did something to me. So anyway, so we get back from um, Flagstaff. We drive back. Um, I get my flight to fly to Mississippi for the funeral, and I'm going to drive by myself. So that Friday morning that I was leaving, I met my family for breakfast, and my wife says, "Hey, leave the boys at the table. Come talk to me real quick." And so we leave, and she goes, "Hey, I just got a call from my mom or from my dad that my mom's in the emergency room. She had a hard time breathing, but it should be just fine." I'm like, "You sure?" She goes, "Yeah, it should be no big deal." So my dad said, "I'm like, all right." And so I get on a plane, and then I fly out to Mississippi to get a connecting flight in Atlanta. When I land in Atlanta, I turn my phone on, and, and then Holly's dad's calling me. So I ignore it, because it's my father-in-law. And um, and, and, and then I call Holly and said, hey, your dad's calling me. Uh, um, and she goes, really? Why is he calling you? And I said, that's the same thing I was thinking. I was like, I just don't want to answer it, because he's, he's your dad. He's not mine. And so you should probably call him. And so she called him, and, 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 um, and then she called me back just before I'm getting on the plane, and she just says, hey. Um, and she's in tears, and, and you got to understand, my wife is not that, um, like, emotionally rocked by things and I could tell that she was shaken and here I am about to get on a, a little plane to, to Biloxi, Mississippi, and she's just going, my mom's in the ICU, she, she stopped breathing, um, they're not really sure what's going on. Um, I'm kind of scared and I said, well, I think you should get a flight and then fly up to, to, Cal- to Sacramento. And then um, I said, let me call you back. And I called a friend here in the church, a family friend that lives near us, that has kids, and said, hey, do you guys mind? Kind of explain the situation. I'm here in Mississippi. Holly's needs to go to California. Can you watch the boys for a couple days until I get back from Mississippi? And they took him in, and it was really thankful. I was really thankful for them. So Holly flew up there. I flew back from Mississippi after the funeral, picked up the boys, and then we drove all the way to Sacramento uh, to be with Holly's. Mom and her family, and we've, we've been there for a while. And then, towards the latter part of our trip there, Holly's mom got out of the hospital. So we said, Okay, we'll drive back. I drove all the way back, um, just kind of random. I'm driving back, and I get a phone call from Holly's mom saying, Hey, where are you at? And I said, I'm just going through Southern California. She goes, Are you stopping at home? And I said, No, because I'm from SoCal. She goes, Okay, well, just so you know, there's a bridge that collapsed. I don't know if you guys saw the news, a bridge collapsed. I'm like, The bridge would collapse. Um and so anyways, that was just kind of like annoying more than anything. It wasn't like suffering, it was just stupid. And so um uh, there there so we stayed in Southern California, came home. As soon as we got home, me and Holly realized it's our anniversary. <laughs> so we're like, oh. So we went out to dinner and both of us almost fell asleep at the table because we were just so tired. Um and then we got back and we found that our mom was back in the hospital. Um, And they're figuring out what's going on with the oxygen levels and so forth. And so she's out of the hospital now. They're still trying to figure out why her oxygen levels are not where they're supposed to be. Um, And so all of that goes down. And then so last week I'm thinking, Lord, everything has happened. I'm emotionally a wreck. Um, Could it get any worse? And then I realized I got to go to Tucson. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I was like, really? Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. and, and uh, no, we had a wedding in Tucson, and I taught at Redemption Tucson last week, and, and, then, and then now we're here. Um, now, that's a long way to say that everybody's got a story, and everybody's got something that they walk through and everybody's got something that's, that's really difficult, and it's really hard, and it's hard to process, and it's hard to communicate, it's hard to articulate, and, and everyone processes things differently. And so this is not just the me thing, this is the people thing. And so either whether you're going through something right now, my prayer is that God would encourage you through his word. Um, if you're not, you will. So you would kind of tuck these things away, and then bring them back out when, when you will need them, because it is inevitable that we will go through these things. And um, I tried to try to boil everything down to just, kind of a few little thoughts and and sayings here that I think could be helpful for us straight out of Scripture. So if you're with me, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, just a little bit about Ecclesiastes is that it's written um, in a way that some people really love Ecclesiastes. Um, um, If you're emo, you're like, yeah, this is my book. Um, There seems to be nothing good in it. Um, um, If you're old and you've lived a long time, you like it because you like the wisdom in it. Um, Or if you just want to live in reality, it's an incredible book. Um, It's part of what is known as the wisdom literature, and that is Proverbs, Psalms, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And what what the preacher here does, he's just talking about life. Um, And in fact, what we just heard from the scripture reading, talking about seasons, how there's a time for this and there's a time for that. And and this first point that I have here is that it's okay not to be okay. And here's what the preacher says here in chapter 3, verse 4. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. He's saying there's a season. He's not saying that there's a particular time where this happens. There's a particular time where this happens. He's talking seasons, meaning there are moments or seasons in your life. We don't know how long these seasons last, how long, how short, but when they do come, there's, there's this juxtaposition there where there's, there's time for dancing, and there's time for laughing, and there's time for mourning, and there's time for weeping. That, that those things are okay. That um, it's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to cry. Now, I don't know what your upbringing was like or what type of family you grew up in, but in my family, we didn't cry a whole lot in my family. And not that we were some macho family where we said, don't cry, I'll punch you in the chest or something like that. There were a couple things like that. But, I mean, like, it was, it was we didn't usually cry. Like, the only thing remotely close to that that we received is I, I grew up kind of old school. You could say that now where, um, like, we thought it was okay. Our parents thought it was okay to spank us. It was, like, kind of like part of life. Like, it was like, well, you Thursday you haven't got a spanking this week. And so that would happen, right? Whatever. We turned out all fine. And so it, it's different now because, like, that's child abuse now. Back in the day, our parents didn't abuse us. Sometimes. Um, and and, and there's, there's, there is a sense where my dad would give me a spanking, and if I were crying too long, he'd be like, are you still crying? Yeah. He goes, you know, to dry those tears before I give you something to cry about. And I'm like, you just did. <laughs> like that, that, That's why I'm in this position right now, right? But, but outside of that, outside of pain or, or, or falling down or something like that, crying wasn't something we just saw. Like I never like, came home and just saw my mom or my dad crying on why you're crying, and they said, I don't know. Like That's something that's relatively new to me. Um, In fact, what I remember about crying that was something that was not painful was two movies and then a sporting event. Um, The first movie was, there was a movie called Still Magnolia. Um, Some of you guys probably remember that. Julia Roberts dies in the movie. Guys, that's sad. Um, um, And I just, if you haven't seen the movie, I just gave it away. Um, And so the other movie was Boys in the Hood, Um, which you haven't seen, you should see. So Ricky dies. And boys in the hood, get shot, actually. So that's sad, guys. And when you're 10 watching that, you're like, no, Ricky, juke him, because was a really good football player. It's like, you could have, whatever, you guys got to see the movie. So I cried on that. And the other one's the 1992 NBA Finals when the Lakers lost to the Bulls. <laughs> 10 years old, cried at that as well, right? And outside of that, like, I don't remember, like, I mean, I'm sure I cried, but it wasn't like something that anybody taught me, like, it's, it's good or it's not good. But let me tell you this here's what we have. We have this kind of unwritten rule around Christian circles that we don't want people to be sad. Like, if you're sad and and you're sad for too long, we don't want you around. You know why? It makes us begin to be uncomfortable because we don't know what the heck to do. Like, if you're sad, what we believe is, if if you're really sad, then you must not believe God's good. You must not believe he's sovereign. You must not believe he's going to care for you. You must not believe that he provides for you. You know what? I got a scripture for you. Um, Romans 8.28 somewhere says that God works all things out for the good for those of you. You'll be okay. And we just kind of throw these little scriptures at him thinking, like, take two of these in the morning, you'll feel better. Because that's what we want. We want you to get over it. You know why? Oftentimes because we don't know how to suffer with people. We don't know how to suffer ourselves well, and we don't know how to suffer well with people and just sit and go, I don't know when I don't know. And so at best we say, to just kind of get through with it. But here's, 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 here's the deal. There are some times, there are some times where the sun comes up for everybody else, but it does not come up for you. And it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to say I'm not okay. And, and the next day when the sun comes back up and it doesn't come up for you again, you could say, you know what? It's okay to not be okay. And the next day, and the next day, because we don't know how long this season of mourning and weeping may last. We have, we have no idea sometimes. We don't. And it doesn't mean that you've forgotten God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you don't love God. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian or you're not an A-plus Christian or whatever that means. It just means you're human. And there's something um, deeply um, restful and freeing to be able to sit in reality and say, I'm, I'm just not okay and being okay with that. And I think as Christians, as people who are around others in that situation, we need to get better at that because we can't go back and change the past. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Jesus says, sufficient for today is its own problems. Meaning, we got issues today. And we can't go back and change those things. So let's live in the present. And when you begin to live in the present, you begin to understand deeply the presence of God. Because where he actually may be found is where he has us. Not in the pretend version of us, not in the better version of us, not in the, the past version, the future version, the upgraded, the I7 version, or whatever version we think that God wants for us other than who we are. And when we say it's okay not to be okay, there's a time for mourning, there's a time for laughing, These things are, there's, a, there's a season for that. All, all it's saying is just letting you be uniquely you as a human and letting God be God. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, that, that being sad, it, it, it is okay. So one of the things that, um, personally, um, I appreciate you guys' prayers. Those of you guys who have been praying for us, I appreciate it. Those of you guys who haven't, whatever. Um, <laughs> is is, is the, Those of you been praying and, and so forth, we cover your prayers. I cover more of your prayers. Um, I've just, just been trying to speak to people as, as honest as I can today because I don't have an opportunity to have an individual conversation with all of you guys, but appreciate your prayers. Keep praying. Appreciate your emails. Stop emailing. Um, is, uh, we, we love you, but just pray for us, um, is, is that um, I don't, this has never affected me like this before. I've had, it. I probably had had worse moments and times in my life before, but this, for whatever reason, has knocked me off of my rudder. I, I, I've never felt this way. I don't know what's happening inside of me. I don't know what's happening. Um, I, when people would ask me, how you feeling all the time, I just keep saying I'm exhausted, I'm tired, but what I realized the other day, and I told Holly, I'm not exhausted, I'm not tired I'm going to stop saying that. I think what it is, I'm just sad. And it's hard for me to really say that, but I'm just sad. I'm more sad than I've ever been. Um, I stopped at home, like I said, because the bridge collapsed. Collapsed, um, And I stayed with some friends of mine. And I've been, I moved away from home 15 years ago when I was 17 years old, and I had no plans to ever move back. And I still don't, but there's a, I was there, and I, was like, I, I cried because I missed home. I missed my friends. I missed the fact that their kids are growing up without my kids, and my kids are growing up without their kids. I missed it. Um, my mom's getting old. She's got gray hairs. I miss my mom. I miss my brother. My sister, as you guys know this, my sister had a stroke a couple years ago. And I, the sister that I knew, I will, never, I will never know again, you know? And you know what? I'm not okay with that. And, uh, it, and those things are hard. And, and my wife knows that something's different. When I told her, I said, know, I'm just not me. And she goes, yeah, I could just tell. And she goes, what do you think it is? I, think, I said, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> it's just got to be something, right? Um, and, and, and just in, just, in just reality, I'm, 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 I'm not me, but this is the best moment I've had in years, quorum day, which means before the face of God. And I don't want to get past this, and I don't want to get over this. As followers of Christ, we want to get past things, and we want to get over things. The Bible always tells us to get through them. You get through things. That means you walk through them, you run through them, but you get through them. Um, and when you get through things, what that means is God is always with you. God is always there. God is, I, I, there's no point in this moment where I doubt God. In fact, I think he's probably closer than ever because things are slower than they've ever been. Um, and, you know, and so there, there, there's this sense of w- the presence of God and acknowledging your weakness, which we'll talk more about in a second. But the first point is um, it's okay not to be okay. Amen? Uh, number two here is um, that funerals— are better than weddings. <laughs> Turn your Bible over to the left uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter seven. We're going to read verses. Uh, uh, we're going to read verses two and three. <laughs> it is better to go in the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness the face of the heart is made glad. I love that. That that it's better to be in the house of uh, morning than the house of feasting. There's, there's something about sadness. And you know what you know what, what really, um, you know, my, the pastors have been really good and come alongside me. My, my really good friends have been really, really good uh, come alongside me. Tyler Johnson in particular, who's a really, really good friend of mine, and Jim Mullins, who I can deeply process things with. Um, my wife has been absolutely A-plus on this. And then and one special shout-out to this 11-year-old girl named Riley, who's the, who's the main character of a movie called Inside Out. Um, uh, it's <laughs> The kid movie, (laughs) Inside Out. If you haven't seen that yet, this movie is incredible. It was like the timing was perfect. I'd heard about the movie. My kids wanted to see it. I thought, yeah, I can go check out at a movie theater. You can't check out in this movie. Right, because the whole movie in itself—if you haven't seen it—is about this little little girl named Riley who moves from Minnesota uh, uh, to to San Francisco, and then the whole movie takes place in her head. And these characters are portrayed by these emotions are personified. So there's like joy and anger and disgust and so forth and sadness. And the main two characters is joy and sadness. And joy wants everything to be happy, and, and sadness is like kind of getting drugged around. And she's like, I don't know, right? And there's like these core memory balls that like if she touches one, it becomes sad. And joy's like, don't touch it. Let's get sadness out of here. And then they realize, wait a minute, and order for Riley to be Riley, like, we need sadness. Now, I'm not going to tell you anymore because that's a recent movie, and I don't want to ruin it for you, and it's, it's really good. But there was something about that, like, yeah, we need sadness. And I'm thinking, like, I wonder how they're playing out in my mind right now, right? <laughs> um, but but what, what the preacher says here, not Pixar, but the preacher here, um, what he says is, it's actually better to be in the house of mourning than, than the house of, of feasting or laughter. And so it, it's better to be at a funeral than it is at a wedding, and I love weddings. I do. In fact, I've already been to 10 weddings this year already, and I think I've done eight or nine, like, and, and, and there's more to come. So weddings are good. Um, there's something about funerals that are better. Um, there's similarities, right? You have at both, you dress up in a certain way. At both, you eat food. At both, you're around close friends and family. Um, and, and at both, you're thinking about yourself. Here's what I mean. At a wedding, you show up, and you're thinking about your own wedding man, these, they do weddings way better than we did. Damn, man, we wore cummerbunds. They got cool clothes on now, right? <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> or you say, um, you're thinking about the wedding you wish you could have, and you're going, man, how come they didn't invite more single guys here? <laughs> or how come they didn't invite more single ladies here, right? Why is, there, why is this wedding dry? they know I like to drink, right? Like, it's, it, 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 you're, you're really thinking about yourself, right? You didn't think, oh, it might have been cheaper for them. Like, man, who drugs a dry wedding? Well, man, Jesus even had more wine, extra wine, right? <laughs> right, you try to spiritualize it. It's like, it's about you. And then funerals were about you as well. However, however, they're more sober questions that you ask. And depending on the context of the funeral, and how um, the man or woman, whoever it is that's deceased, how they died, you begin to ask questions about yourself, but they're more sober questions. So in my cousin's case, who's 28 years old, who's married, who's got a four-year-old daughter, all I could do is look at his daughter and think, do my kids have enough memories of me that if I were to die right now, they would remember me? Their dad? Like, I'm their dad. Or who would be their dad if I were not here? Um, what would happen to Holly? Um, what the heck is natural causes? Um, physically, if this person's in the same shape as me and that it happened to them, could this happen to me? Is, is my life insurance plan, my health insurance plan, is it where it needs to be? Or maybe even more existential questions of like, where is this person now? Is their life as, after death? Is God really real? Is the gospel truly good news? Questions that we begin to ask ourselves. Um, uh, when you look at a body and you begin to think, um, what, 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 what happens? Like, what's next? Um, a, as you're in that moment, you're not thinking of trivial things. Like, you're not thinking, did I leave the iron plugged in? You're not thinking about, am I ever going to get married one day? You're not thinking about, are my kids going to grow up and be very good athletes? Are they going to be stellar students? Do I look good in this? You're not thinking about any of those things. You're thinking about the things that actually matter towards eternity, Heaven, hell, life, death, real things. Not to say those things, other things don't matter. I'm just saying there's something about a wedding that you can kind of just, just kind of laugh it off and memories can fade and you can go, it was a good time. You may not even remember all the details and how great it was. But at our funeral, you remember where you were. You remember what was said. You remember how you felt. It's quiet. You think and you think and you think. And when you begin to think about yourself, it's not self-centered. You're thinking about, well, who am I? Who is God? All right? And that's exactly what the preacher wants us to do. He, he says his, um, in verse 2 again, it says, It is better to go in the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. Meaning everybody's going to end up there. It, it, death doesn't matter if you're white, if you're black, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you succeeded, if you didn't, if you traveled, if you didn't. It does not matter. We're all going to get there. It's a. It's inevitable. Right? Marriage in itself is a gift. It's a possibility. You might get it, or you have it. It might last. Death, it's happening. And from the time we're born, we're on our way there. And that seems really morbid and dark, but it's true. And it's better to be in that place of mourning than it is of laughter, because you begin to ask those eternal questions about the gospel, about who God is, how he's given his son— that I may have life. And, and all the questions that we ask, the main ones, like the truly big ones about God, that we, the one body in the room that could answer is the one without the soul, that whether he or she believed in Christ in this life or not, that if they were to come back knowing what they know now, that they would say something like, uh, God is real, is Jesus truly is his son, you better deal with it. And you better deal with him. Better to be in the house of mourning than the house of of feasting or laughter, because there's something about funerals that are better than weddings. And so when you find yourself in those moments, there's something surreal about it. It's something, a way that you can acknowledge God. And let me just tell you about this funeral, why I loved it so much. Um, I've never really liked funerals. Um, and they're hard and, and so forth. And, and, and this particular funeral was good because we actually had to mourn. We don't really mourn well as a people. We don't. Like, we not, we're not really good at lamenting. Um. Um, we're, we we want to get through things too fast, and so um, because we just don't want to have to deal with it, we don't like the way it makes us feel, or whatever reason we don't mourn well. Yet biblically, you know, when people died and they talked about mourning, these were like events that lasted days and days and days and days. Um, so this was the closest thing I could ever experience. I mean, like we're, this funeral was a long funeral, right? Think like black church, but a funeral, right? Because it's exactly what it was. It's four and a half hours long. Um, this funeral. And, and 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 we all were sitting there, and we're sitting in the front, and, and then one preacher would get up after another, and they were like, "All right, now for the main word, we're gonna have a word from Reverend uh, Ricardo Stewart." And I thought, "There's a Reverend Ricardo Stewart here," um, and my mom goes, "Hey, we um, forgot to tell you, you gotta get up there." And I'm like, "What? What am I supposed to?" Just 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 let the spirit go, right? <laughs> and so. I got up there. They handed me this Bible. I haven't read a King James Bible ever. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I get up there, and it's hot, and everybody has got their fans. And, and I thought, I got into, like, black preacher mode immediately. Y'all would have been proud of me. Uh, um, and uh, there was there, there a was sense where then we opened up the mic, and, and the, mic, the open mic went on and on and on, and nobody stopped it. I've been at funerals before where I've looked at the family and they're like, Stop that! Right, they kept going on, and people wouldn't just share. They would get up, they would sing songs like, "Hey, we're gonna sing a song to bless the family," and somebody would get on the mic and they start singing a song, and then somebody else would get out of the crowd and they'd come over to the to the keyboard, and then they would they would they would. They would I can't do it. And they they just somehow knew the lyrics or the music to the song. Like, how'd you know that? You guys, did y'all plan this? They just somehow knew, and it just kept going on and on and on. And by the time we were done, we were all cried out. And it was right. It was right. Because then after that, then we got the chance to go eat, and we were able to talk without feeling like there wasn't any closure, because there's something about funerals that you can't get at a wedding. You're not trying to move on to the next thing because it just so happens that in those moments, you're with the people that you know you really want to be with. Um, and, and that's right. That's good and right to be with those people and mourn with those people and just to say, one, it's okay not to be okay. Um, that sadness in itself is a good thing because it oftentimes can make the heart glad. Amen? So number two, and that's number two. So number three here, and we'll go to the last two here rather briefly, is that perspective matters. So, so go ahead and turn all the way to the right now, to James chapter one. If you've been a Christian, you've heard this before. And this is a perspective matters, meaning like um, not so much um, why is God doing this, but like um, what is God doing? Like what is God doing behind the scenes? That God is actively um, allowing or causing these things in our life for our good and his glory. Sometimes we can't understand what that good is, but God is getting the glory out of it, especially when we embrace on understanding who Christ is in the midst of these sufferings. So it's okay not to be okay. Uh, Funerals are better than weddings. And then this is what James says about perspective. Um, Chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, meaning it doesn't matter the type of trial. Um, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking nothing. I love that. Various trials. So hear me. I don't care what your trial is. That word various literally means in the Greek, various, right? That means anything. So you may say, well, well mine kind of just seems trivial compared to what this person has gone through. It does not matter, it doesn't matter about your trial versus somebody else's trial because here's the reality. God didn't make somebody else when he made you. He happened to make you. And so the things that he actively causes or allows in your life are for you. And that's for his glory, uh, your good, as you embrace the gospel of hope and faith and trust in his son, Jesus. So we're not gonna trivialize anything or say, well, man, you will not believe what I went through. Doesn't that matter? Because you're you and somebody else is somebody else. Understand the perspective. And that is this. What God is saying is this, um, there's nothing what you're going through that is wasted. There's nothing that you're going through that is wasted. He says, count it joy. Now hear me, joy is not happy and the way that we think of happiness. We have allowed the culture around us to dictate what happiness is, and we use that same crappy vernacular, oh, I'm just not happy, or they didn't make me happy. That, 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 that's, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. When the Bible says blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is she, it literally means happy, but not the way that we think of happy. Happiness in our culture means how circumstances externally are happening. Joy, blessedness has everything to do with the contentment, not in who you are, but who God is in the midst of any circumstance. It's a holding out of faith that has real hope with substance because the substance is none other than God himself. That means you're not trying to say, how are my circumstances, and that will dictate my joy or my happiness. No, what James is saying here is, no, 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 let the eternal things of God that are in you, that are placed in you, that are gifted to you, that are not lent, things that are lended to you, they can be taken back. What God gives, he never takes back. And so when he gives you his spirit, when he gives you his grace, when he gives you the love of his son, that's not something he's going to take back. And he says, you can have joy in those things. That you, you, you can k- take a deep hope and a deep confidence in, in the circumstances that are happening, though they may not be the circumstances that you want, but God is gonna use these things in such a way to produce steadfastness or perseverance. And that perseverance, steadfastness, take its, take its full course, because here's what God's gonna do. He's gonna make you um, complete, um, mature and complete, and not lacking anything. Like, meaning, we may not know what God's doing. And can we ask those questions to God? Absolutely. Can you say, God, I don't know, and I don't like it? Absolutely. Can you say, God, please help me through this? Absolutely. Bring me something? Absolutely. Um, will he always answer it the way that we want? A- absolutely not. Um, but he promises to give us himself, which is all of what we need, no matter what the trial is, no matter what the circumstance is, that he promises to give us a particular hope in it. Um, there, there, there is something about slowing down and listening to the still voice of the Lord, especially through His Word, that you begin to say, "Lord, I don't know what You're doing, but, but, um, but I trust You." M- my mom said something when I when I got off the plane and I saw my mom. Um, I mentioned earlier my family's really tight, like real, real tight. So my mom's brother—this is my mom's brother's son, so my first cousin. My mom, my mom would say that this was like her son, um, and I knew she was hurting. And I saw her, and I said, "Hey, um, you okay?" And she goes, I'm not okay, not at all, but I promise you all is well. And I love that. Because there was a a level of confidence. She said, I'm not even going to lie and say things are completely out of my control. But they're not out of God's control. See, we would rather have it the other way. If I can just control it, I really don't care about what God's doing. But the way of the gospel is always a paradox the way up is actually the way down he goes you know what it could be completely out of your control but faith says it might be out of my control but i know god has it in his hands i know that he's in control of this i know that he's working these things out and not some trite trivial fake way but able to truly rest in the person of god that that god is making us mature and complete and when it says mature and complete and perfect don't think perfect like sinless Uh, The the word there literally means for a particular task, meaning it just so often that the things that you go through, God is allowing you to go through it so that you would know God more more deeply, but also for somebody else, that you're used for a particular task. It's perfect in that way. It'd be like if you had particular tools or used for certain assignments that you're trying to do. It's a perfect tool for something. And it's saying that we are now become, now in the joy that we have in faith in Christ, that we become instruments in our Redeemer's hands, that we may know Him, love Him, embrace His love for us, and that we actually, at some point, when God is ready and the timing is right, that we could be used for others, for for their sake that we can comfort others and their afflictions the way that God has comforted us and our afflictions. It's this community piece that God is allowing these things to happen that we may be mature and complete. Um, two illustrations of the way this happens is things that I've used before. One is like a cake. Think about it as simple as a cake. Like, we don't want certain things in our lives to be there. Right? There are certain things that have happened in your life that you know you would not prescribe for your kids to have or your future kids to have. Like, I don't want them to go through this. I don't want them to go through that. I mean, we, we, we don't want our kids to go through anything, and, and, and yet we want them to learn things. <laughs> right? You wouldn't prescribe it. But you know, I kind of needed these things to be the person I am today. Well, from a God perspective, God is going, in order for you to be who you are, you're going to need some things you don't like. I mean, think of it like, like a cake, I said. Like, if you just tried the little ingredients that go into a cake, you wouldn't like it. Like if you said, okay, let me see. Do I want flour? Let me taste some flour. Oh, heck no, no flour, right? Let me crack this egg. I'm like, oh, no. Some of you would, and you're working out or whatever. Um, and then, and then you get rid of that. Basically, what you have is a bowl of sugar, cake, right? <laughs> right? No. What you need is you put all those things in there, you stir it up, you put it in the you put it in the oven, let it burn for a little bit or cook for a little bit, and then and then and then you take it out. Yeah, you have a cake, right? Um, the same way that the silver maker makes silver is that the silver maker puts it to the flame and allows all the p- impurities and everything to come to the top, scrape it, throw it out, do that process again, scrape it, throw it out, do that process again and again and again until the silver maker look, can look at the silver and see a reflection upon himself. Now, now what if, it, if, if that God, whose image we were created in, and that image was tainted by sin, is allowing the suffering and the trials in our life Behind the scenes, what he's doing sovereignly and in his gracious love, protection, and care for us in order to take the infirmities and the impurities out of us and that when he looks at us, that he can look at a reflection upon himself. If you're a Christian, you say amen to that. Because your desire is not just to be forgiven by God, your desire actually is God. That, That when it says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, that means that he's the very beginning and he's the goal. That he happens to be the goal of our life, of those of us who follow Christ, that we want to look like him. And so we may not be okay, but we know that he's good. We, We may not know everything that's happening, but we know that he does. And so the perspective that he gives us is a Godward perspective on the realities and the circumstances that we are in in such a way that we can embrace and know who God is. Amen? It's okay not to be okay. Funerals are better than than, than weddings. God's perspective matters. So perspective does matter. And lastly, the most simple one is Jesus loves me. Uh, Carl, Carl Barth, who's a, uh, who's a theologian that lived years and years ago, lived in Europe, he came over to the, to the United States and he's lecturing at this university and they did a little Q&A afterwards and he wrote volumes and volumes and volumes of theology and books and books and books and books. And so one student, one of the American students, raises um, their hand and, and, and asks him a question like, hey, can you just kind of summarize your whole life work and what you've done and maybe a couple sentences, right? Can you do that? Right? Typical, like, that's like us Americans. It's like, hey, we don't want to read all those books. Can you just give us cliff notes, <laughs> right? Um, and, and he says, uh, yeah, sure, I can, I can psalm it up. It's something I learned as a little kid. And he says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Meaning, as much as I've learned, as much as I've written, you never get past that. That when it comes to hard times in your life, the most important thing you need to know is that you are absolutely loved by God absolutely loved by God and that you love God. And the reason why you love God is because he first loved you. That, that we begin to see that Jesus himself is enough and that God is enough. That the one thing that suffering allows us to do, it allows us to look at the reality of life and going, what matters most? And it happens to be all that God has done for me and all of who God is and all that God's promises in the work of his son, Jesus. Paul says it this way, if you can read here in in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, In fact, the context here is Paul's got this thorn in his flesh. And and in fact, many people have talked about, Well, I wonder what the the thorn in his flesh is. And they've debated it, and there's actually books written about it. Like, well, I think his thorn was this. Silly, right? Because you know what? We don't know what the thorn was. You know why? Because he didn't tell us. What we should do is write volumes of the book and get around and talk about what he actually said. And so here's what He says, Um, he he prayed to God to take it away three times, but he said this, God said this to him my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness he says therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me he's going here's what I know, I said God take it away, God was like I ain't doing it, take it away no I'm not doing it, God take it away, he goes here my grace is made sufficient in you meaning what matters most is that my power is being perfected in you in your weakness and Paul goes "All right, don't take it away don't take it away, God, because I will boast all the more of who you are because your grace is sufficient. So when it comes to walking through hard times, if you get to understanding being okay, uh, it's totally okay. That it's okay not to be okay. That um, funerals are better than weddings. You have a perspective that God himself is doing something. That what matters, what I need, when people say, what do you need? Here's what I need. And this is what I want for my children. Here's what I want for my wife. Here's what I want for our church. That we are so deeply loved by God and we understand it that we know the love of God that surpasses all understanding, that we understand that his grace, the grace that's been given to us as a gift in Jesus Christ that we have not earned is sufficient for everything that we have, that our identity is not what we can accomplish, who we can become, what we've lost, what we've found, but our identity is none other that we are children of God, loved by his son, welcomed to his family by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? When we understand that, hard times or good times, highs or lows, we begin to be who we are created to be, and that is the children of God, that we begin to just be where we are in our weakness, in our sadness, in our joy, in our good times, in our bad times, that, that we understand our position, that we are simple humans, and he is a holy God, and we are wholly content with that that we stop playing God, that when our friends around us come undone, that we can be there for them. I can't come undone in front of everybody, and here's why. Everybody, you guys don't all really know me. And it's not that I don't trust you, it's just I don't, you don't know me that well. There are people that I can come undone or, around, and there's people who can come undone around me. Can people come undone around you, or do you try to fix it really quick? Or can you just say, I don't know what I don't know, but I'll be back tomorrow. And when the sun doesn't come up for you again, will you let me know I'll be back tomorrow? And when the sun doesn't come up for you again, maybe next time I'll bring an umbrella. The sun might be up for me today, but it may not be up for you. And then can you come undone in front of people? Or are you afraid that if I come undone, the people around me just may not be able to handle me? Um, It just so happens the way that we begin to enter into this love of God is not void of Christian community. If I didn't have this church, and I didn't have godly men and godly women on my side, um, that's when I begin to doubt God. Not because of who he is, because of the means of grace in which he's given us, primarily his people. So um, walking through hard times is not an individual project. It, it's a community, right? And so you got to ask yourself that question. In the name of Christ, can I come undone? And can people come undone around me? If not, say, Lord, give me mercy and help me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work, finished work of Christ in which we enter into by your Spirit. We thank you for the current grace and the future grace that is ours in Jesus. Help us to walk in that. We thank you for the life, love, and blood of Christ that's been extended to us, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the written word of God in which you reveal yourself to us, God. We ask for your authority to be our authority. We ask for your ways to be our ways. We ask for the guidance in which you give to be what we follow. Lord, we ask that you would transform and reshape us, Lord, in ways in which we can just rest in Jesus Christ and be the humans in you've created us to be and allow you to be God, to live in the tension of reality, God, and there, being present, that we would be able to acknowledge and sense your presence. Father, we ask that you would do in us more than we can think, ask, or imagine according to the great work um, that's been applied to us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.